Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Whether we're watching it play out on our screens and social media feeds or experiencing it in our relationships and workplaces, many of us find ourselves exhausted by the seemingly never-ending torrent of drama in our lives. While some of us long to escape the drama, others dive in head first and both groups desperately need a solution. What is addiction to drama? What are the common symptoms and impacts of drama addiction? How does a drama addiction affect friends, family members, loved ones, and colleagues? Well, joining me in the studio today to answer these questions is Scott Lyons, clinical psychologist. We dive into his new book, Addicted to Drama, where Scott reveals how we can break free from the isolating and damaging effects of living lives consumed by chaos. Whether we're the oft-maligned drama queen who thrives on crisis, relishing their own problems and problems of others, or in a relationship with one. So let's dive in. Dr. Scott Lyons, what a pleasure it is to talk to you and meet you and talk to you about your book. I just, everyone loves this title, I know. Addicted to Drama, and everyone immediately wants to know, okay, tell me more, because as you say, when you ask lecture in an audience, and you say, do you know anyone who's addicted to drama? People put up both hands, and then you say, are you addicted to drama? And they don't put up their own hands. So you artfully walk us through what does it mean to be addicted to drama and you know how can we maybe recognize it in ourselves and others you have an assessment you have great pointers there's a lot of stuff that we can really get into that I think is going to help a lot of people but you unpack it in a way that's really not the way people are going to are expecting to hear about it so I'm very excited to have you on the show today thank you thank you for having me it's such a pleasure that's a it's a pleasure for me too okay Scott you have a great backstory I'd love you to start by just telling us a little bit about your story and how that led into you actually writing this book. Yeah. Well, I have a great lineage of addiction to drama. I come from many, <laughs> many members of my family who I can yeah. delightfully say are are addicted to drama. And and I mean that with a lot of heart, actually. I know. <laughs> that I, I recognize the the pain in it and I recognize the 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 playfulness that also sometimes comes with that. And so it wasn't a big surprise to find that I myself have have had that experience, have adopted that as my own process for living, my own process for navigating my own trauma. And so that really, you know, as I was growing up in the arts and I was finding myself in relationships that we might call toxic, but really I was partly responsible for those, if not more responsible than other people and finding myself in constant situations that we would call chaos and constant crises and not realizing at the time that I was a contributor, that I was contributing to my own suffering, my own hurt, my own pain. And in fact, I thought I was thriving. I experienced a lot of energy. I had an exciting life. And at a certain point, things kept colliding. There were too many stressors to navigate. My sort of threshold for what I thought was, you know, part of life became consuming. And I crashed. And I crashed hard. And I kept finding myself back in certain scenarios and situations, even with family members who were trying to support me and love me, I'd find myself fighting with them and feeling a little bit better afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
And I had to pause and go, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why is it that I find myself, I would, I was in the arts for a long time. And, and when I crashed, I, I dabbled back in the arts and I would find sort of the constant stress of it supportive. And so I began to recognize my own addiction to independency on chaos and crisis as a way of living and recognizing that it was my normal. It was my baseline way of living. Yeah. Wow. And it mm -hmm. truly wasn't until I began to give myself space from that, which was absolutely hard and painful. I can't imagine. <laughs> as we might imagine any withdrawal from an addiction might yeah. be. That I began to recognize how much I was chasing the drama as a way of avoiding my underlying trauma. So that's where you bring yeah. in the addiction component, which is always the classic reason for any addiction is there's an underlying trauma and you're trying to avoid facing the trauma. So people don't yeah. really classify being addicted to drama and the, and the pension for drama and chaos as an addiction. But you explain in this book that this is how we need to look at this concept. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the very classical model of addiction is very, it's medicalized. It's very mm, like, very. this is a chemical issue. And we really expanded that in the last 20 years. Thank goodness. Really to a point where we mm. truly recognize it's a biopsychosocial model. Exactly. There are so many contrib contributions to it, including transgenerational trauma, trauma in general, pain. What are the ways that we are supporting ourselves not to be in our pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that phrasing very carefully. What yeah. are the ways we are supporting ourselves not to be in that pain? Because mm. as humans, we can only hold so much pain. Mm. That's and we so can only true. process so much at a time. Mm -hmm. So link this now for me to how this processing of pain and one of the mm -hmm. ways we get, you know, we as a coping strategy, why you've specifically, obviously it's in your own life, the experience of your own life, yeah. but you obviously work with people, you've developed assessments, yeah. you've, you, you practice clinically, and yeah. so you're working with people who are battling with this. So can you link, so sitting with our pain and, and the pain related to, to addiction to drama, can you help, under, help us understand that? Yeah. So I think what's helpful when, when unpacking an addiction to drama is how do we see it on the outside? How do we see it from the in, experience it from the inside, from in, within the drama, within the addiction? And then why? And I think if, if we That's might good. start with what does it look like on the outside? I like that. Because, Let's do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because as I mentioned, every time I've ever given a talk about it, everyone knows someone addicted to drama. Yeah. In fact, you know, when I've ran into people on the street and they ask me what I do, and I just, I mentioned I wrote a book and so many times when I mentioned the title of the book, they're like, will you interview my family? <laughs> and will you talk to my family? Will you do a TV it. show with my family? And, <laughs> and my question is always right back of like, what is it that you notice? What is it like something in you knows they're addicted to drama so mm -hmm. what is it? What do you recognize in their behaviors and their way of existing in the world? And, you know, some of the most common things are like, you know, when we just are asking ourselves, whoa, 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 what just happened? <laughs> yeah. I am like, how did we get here? 
in 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 a situation in the the eruption of an event that mm-hmm. wasn't such a big deal but now feels like it's such a big deal where the intensity and the extremes of the response do not match the circumstances to which they exist mm-hmm. yeah we can all relate to those experiences <laughs> Yeah. And and so we know it so well in our culture. We know mm-hmm. addiction to drama. We see it. And, you know, for, in my own experience, I went from recognizing it in other people and then recognizing it in myself and then seeking help and realizing there was no literature. There's no scientific journals. There's no unpacking of the science of this. But how is it that we all know it and there's no science to support it? Very no good question. literature. Mm-hmm. And so that's that I, that's a gap I wanted to fill. And from the inside, you know, we we and we're naming some of the pieces of what it feels like or looks like on the outside. It and feels like again, I'm gonna go switch back actually to the outside where it feels like someone has vacuumed the air out of the room. There's no <laughs> space for us, there's only mm. space for them. And suddenly we are feel enwrapped in what is happening within them. We find ourselves getting stressed out just by being in the vicinity of them. And then That's it feels such like a good description. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tornado. They wrap us in their tornado in the book. I call it a whirlwind, but it's really a, like a tornado that, that just mm. keeps picking up speed. And part of you coming into it is what gives it the battery pack of picking up the speed and getting more people involved. That's so true. Staying hydrated is important for mind, brain, and body health. In fact, 60% of our bodies are made of water. I am always looking for ways to make drinking water easier, so I don't even have to think about it. But if you're like me, you probably don't trust your tap water. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in its tap water. That's why you've got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from insulation-free countertop purifiers to higher capacity under-the-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi connected purifier and mineral boost options. AquaTrue's propriety purification technology is independently tested and certified to NSF standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs, known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference compared with my old water filter. It's the same technology used by all the major bottled water brands, but now it's available for your home and without the plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And for a limited time, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code DrLeaf at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code DrLeaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. I like the tornado concept because, you know, it does pick up things in its wake. So as it rolls through in in this destructive, you can't miss it way, it's picking up all kinds of things. 
it picks up anything it can and distorts it, distorts it as energy to continue the pattern, whatever it takes to avoid the pain, whatever mm. it takes. So from the inside, and I can say this from interviewing hundreds of people, but also from my own experience, it feels like the world is constantly against you. It feels like it's like everything's colliding and that you can't get yourself out of it. It feels like a constant urgency. Like you can never outrun the stressors that are coming at you. And it, there's a sense of dis-ease. Mm. Wherever you go, it's pervasive. Like you know something's going to be wrong, but you can't quite name what it is. And so you search for it and you search for it and you either create it or you find it. So you finally feel like a relief from that sense of searching and searching for something you know is going to go wrong. And if you don't find it? And if you don't find it, you create it because <laughs> there's that sense of being out of sync yeah. with the world. The world is happening, but something in you feels either slower or faster, just out of sync, out of rhythm mm -hmm. with this, with the world as it is. And we, what is really interesting is that through our senses and our experiences of trauma, our senses begin to distort. So, you know, the information coming in through our ears, the information coming in through the way we experience touch, all of that begins, the barometer of that begins to be distorted. So our, even our sense of timing in the world through trauma begins to be distorted. Like and in the book, I give the example, if you've ever been late to an appointment or late to go get a flight or late and you're driving in the car <laughs> and you feel like everyone is driving so slow. <laughs> Yeah. But in actuality, they're driving at the same pace you are. But the the arousal energy, the activation, the stress uh -huh, energy the distortion. Mm -hmm. creates the distortion. And then when that mm -hmm. becomes your baseline, there's a constant sense of distortion. So when we say, oh, that person is so intense and so extreme in their response, inside they're not. It's justified. Because the filter to which they are receiving the sensory information of the world is distorted. And so they are responding mm. true to the way they are experiencing the world. They're just responding to the baseline and keeping themselves at yeah. the baseline. Absolutely. And that baseline is what's distorted and that baseline is the disruption. So therefore you have to go and search under the baseline to yeah. literally rewire the baseline. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time and patience to go underneath because there's a threshold. When you drop beneath the baseline, there's an alarm system that goes off mm -hmm. that says, this isn't safe. And what's underneath that baseline is often the pain, the deep core wound. And so we have this innate alarm system that keeps us, the, and I say us, humans, yeah. Yeah. But especially yeah. those who've experienced trauma or and who have a propensity for an addiction to, to drama, it keeps us from contacting the deeper wounds because it, there is a, that is what is our sense of safety is to stay away mm. from the pain that is there. Mm -hmm. And that's so much the pattern of any kind of addiction. So it falls within mm. that. That's really amazing. You, you actually have some 
I'm trying to find what page it is, just to give people some more specific examples. You talk about yes. the multi-layered pattern and with feedback loops surrounding a core internal experience that often manifests in the following way. So that's pretty much what you've just described, like right mm -hmm. down deep in what I would call the yeah. unconscious mind is your is yeah. the experience and that and it's a yeah. traumatic experience. And then your yeah. unconscious mind is trying to protect you by making yeah. you aware of it because you need to deal with it. But that awareness because you and you can't hear that awareness. I'm just repeating. Just tell me if I understood you correctly. You've got this incorrect baseline that has been established as a coping mechanism to the trauma, and that baseline has said, if I go anywhere below this, if I pay attention to what my mind-body-brain connection is telling me to do, my psychoneurobiology, the you because you work in this field of as well, yeah. is uh, that's not going to be safe for me. But that's yeah. it is safe, but it doesn't feel safe, so it keeps you yeah. stuck. So yeah. is that is that correct? So that stuckness yeah. manifests in certain ways. So what I'd love to do now is talk through some of those, and yeah. then I know everyone's yeah. thinking, okay, well if that's the case, you know, what do we do? How do we do it? And what do, how do we fix it? And obviously, it's a long. It's not something we can fix on a podcast, but you can certainly point them in the right direction. So can I? I think you've you've covered a little bit here, but can I go into or do you, mm -hmm. can we go into a little bit of the detail about these yeah. multi layered patterns? So you talk about things like feeling out of control perceiving the world mm -hmm. in, in an extreme or intense um, way, living with that pervasive sense of isolation, betrayal, abandonment, and uneasiness, and feeling numb much of the time, and having a sense of self that fluctuates and disperses, often becoming unanchored. Do, do you want to take a couple of those and just dive in a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So let's talk about isolation. Okay. Because we know that from an attachment perspective, so our mm -hmm. early developmental patterns, that when we come into this world, when we're not met with another caregiver or human being or environment that can help regulate our nervous system, that can help meet our needs, we, do, we don't get the opportunity to develop that sense of self-regulation, the capacity to be present and address and metabolize our own processes and, and emotions and let alone express them into the world, express our needs. And so we get stunted in that authentic expression, that authentic experience of ourself. Mm -hmm. And when we don't get met from a very early experience and we don't get to express ourselves, it creates this sense of isolation, this disconnect. And and that, that last, wherever you are, even in relationship. And so it even, and it's an inability that, that also forms of feeling and being able to receive love because the vulnerability mm. of receiving love to the degree that might actually be there would create an opening. And that same opening might get to that place of core wound. Well, you had that experience in one of your yeah. relationships. You talk yeah. about that in yeah. one of your relationships, and that was kind of almost like a realization for you. And it got so bad yeah. that you ended up, not just that relationship, but the accumulation from there, that you ended up in and out of hospital when you were growing up, but yeah. you ended up with quite a severe cardiovascular event. You were suffering with TIAs. Yeah. So, I mean, this is yeah. transient ischemic attacks. So this is what yeah. you, the, the playing out in our body when we don't deal with our stuff, it was very yeah. evident in your life. Yeah. I mean, when we think about, you know, stress, we often associate it with these diseases, with these harmful things mm -hmm. and a little tiny adaptation about what stress is, which is yeah. important to recognize stress is not the villain. Exactly. It's, it's our inability yeah. to mobilize 
the, all that activation within us. So we have an activation response that gets us ready to adapt in the world. Exactly. We and have to have that or we wouldn't survive. Yeah. And we wouldn't be alive. We wouldn't survive. Exactly. And when we are not able to express ourselves, mobilize that energy, then it becomes encased within us and it becomes like an inflammatory response in our body. And we see autoimmune responses that are signaling, yeah. hey, we didn't process all this extra activation, this all, all this extra cortisol, and we're going to keep getting louder until you process it, exactly. until you mobilize it. And that manifests so often as disease. Exactly. There's signals. There's signals from the mind body saying, hey, something has not been processed through and metabolized. Mm -hmm. And we might experience that as fibromyalgia. We might feel that as chronic fatigue. We might feel that as just ache constantly, ache in our joints, or as ADHD, or so many other manifestations. And the underlying piece of that often when you ask anyone who's addicted to drama, there's a sense of that dis-ease, but there's also coupled with a sense of isolation. No one's ever really there for you, mm. even when they are. Because actually receiving someone, truly He's receiving gonna someone. It's going to open up that wound. Mm -hmm. It's going to open up the wound. And so we stay in the pattern. So before we talk about, because obviously patterns can be broken and yeah. That's something that that we're going to get into. You developed yeah. a little, I say fun assessment. It's it's a, a fairly informal assessment, but it helps people yeah. to be able to work out if they others are addicted to drama or if they are addicted <laughs> to drama. So do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about that assessment? And then let's dive in a little bit to how we can actually start dealing with this when, if we recognize it in ourselves or helping someone else. Let's, let's handle both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I made this assessment and, you know, I've worked, I've worked it through. We've, we've certainly asked, we've given it to people who I self-identified as addicted to drama and uh, to folks who also know lots of people addicted to drama. Those who put both hands up when asked, do you know someone addicted to drama? And the assessment is actually also available on the website. If you just want to take the assessment before getting the book, you're welcome to. It's on my website, which we'll put up. Yes, we'll put up in the show notes. There are questions on there. And, you know, the first assessment is, do I know someone addicted to drama? And the second assessment is, am I? Which is always a harder assessment. And so sometimes we need to also rely on cues from outside people going when, when we're answering those questions for ourselves. So this would be the first place for someone to start is to, yeah. is to you know, just find out if they are or if someone else is, or, you know, both and or. Or both. Yeah. So do you want to go through yeah. some of the questions just very quickly so the yeah. listeners can get a feel? Yeah. This is from the first assessment. Does someone you know feel anxious or bored when things are calm? After interacting with them, do you find yourself going, wait, what just happened? They make mountains out of molehills. Their reactions are bigger than what makes sense. And these, you know, in, in answering this the invitation is always to think, is it never, seldom, sometimes, frequent, always? You get pulled, they pull people into their crisis. They crave extreme situations and sensations. That could be pleasure, that could be activities, that could be pain. 
they generalize one bad situation and make it universal. So they go from, that was a bad day to, oh, my life is so hard. And it's a constant of that. Mm -hmm. They might go crisis hopping. So crisis hopping is a term I use when clients start talking about one, one challenge in their life. And as soon as we start to process through it, they jump to the next one. Another one. Yeah. And then they just keep jumping. Before they've even got one part resolved. Absolutely. Because the resolve would bring them too close to underneath the threshold the or underneath the mm -hmm. baseline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They enjoy being provocative, rousing controversy. The closer people get to them, the more destructive they become. And we know relationships are such a vehicle to manifest what is needed in an addiction to drama. Mm -hmm. And I say needed because it's, again, we, we're in the place where we need to create or we need to find the things that create that rousing response. Mm -hmm. And that level of being involved in chaos and crisis, and it might sound strange to a lot of mm -hmm. us, but it also gives us a sense of meaning and purpose. We're involved in something. We're involved in something big. And it gives us a sense of power. Powerlessness is such, an, a, a, such a big piece of any addiction. Mm -hmm. And when we've in, in an addiction to drama, they'll often feel powerless unless they're in that height and that heightened state mm -hmm. of being in the crisis, navigating it, creating it, whatever part they are in of it. And it gives them a sense of power. It gives them a sense of meaning. It gives them a sense of purpose, all which are eradicated when you are totally in a place of isolation and dis-ease and feel like mm -hmm. you are a victim to all that is coming at you, which as we talked about with that sensory yeah. distortion is true. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. With the, the yeah. car example that you gave earlier on, you late and it feels like everyone else is driving slow, but it's the distortion. So you're seeing it through yeah. distortions and addiction does that. It distorts the lens and the outlook. Yeah. And so what essentially you're yeah. saying is that drama is playing out in the same kind of way, which I don't think people really realize that. It's it's a really great... Yeah. Did you want to handle some more questions or do you want to move to the yeah. second assessment? Yeah. I mean, we can um, keep bringing some more in. Everything they say or do feels urgent. Mm, they that's have a good big one. loves and big breakups. <laughs> I think we all know someone like that, maybe even ourselves. Yeah. And if you're thinking, as I'm as I'm reading these, you're like, oh, wait, that sounds a little familiar to me. I will say that by the end of the second part of the book, you might recognize your own propensity for addiction to drama a little bit more, as it's so prevalent in our culture. And the ways in which social media and media itself are creating the conditions mm -hmm. to replicate the individual experiences that created that. So maybe 20, 40, 50 years ago, we had a mm -hmm. lot of individual conditions that create individual individuals addiction to drama. Mm -hmm. And now we have replicated that those chaotic environments, the overstimulation, the, un, the, the lack of time and support to process. We've replicated that on a much bigger field. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. 
Yeah. So we might find ourselves as we're reading some of the assessment about someone we know that there's some level of it that feels familiar for us. It's so true. It's, it's that, you know, society, every change in every generation brings a new challenge. And this yeah. really is, you know, one of the challenges because, it, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into drama now. It's yeah. quicker. It's, it's just yeah. the speed at which it happens makes it much more yeah. accessible. And therefore your, your immersion is, is like a full immersion versus a little yeah. drip of a tap. Now it's like a full on thunderstorm all over you kind of thing. <laughs> and that's, we have to realize yeah. and recognize that. So it's, so people that yeah. may not have had a massive issue with drama, it's almost mm. can be unavoidable in our current society. If I'm hearing you correctly, yeah. this is what you're saying. Yeah. Is. So it's something it, we should all be the, alert to and aware of. It's in the same way that someone can grow up with a secure attachment in themselves and in relationships. Mm -hmm. And in relation to someone who has an insecure attachment, their attachment style can actually change. And so mm -hmm. those with an addiction to drama are pulling you in because that is the way that they can connect. If you are in sync inside the tornado, mm -hmm. it is safe enough to be in relationship to you. And there is momentary, a beautiful moment, momentary moment, short-lived, of feeling belonging, a feeling connection. Mm -hmm. Which is what everyone craves. Which is what everyone craves. And that deep isolation pain that is such a core wound for those with an addiction to drama is momentarily relieved. And so, of course, they crave it. They're going to keep doing it. And when they don't have it, they're going to go default back to that sense of aloneness. And when they pull you in, when they bring you in proxy to that sense of crisis and chaos that they are both feeling within them and creating it's contagious so mm. some of my favorite science is called stress contagion mm -hmm. and it says that i even in my own stress response just sitting here those of you who are listening or actually watching will have the same or similar stress response in your own body and you might not even recognize mm -hmm. it and it's an evolutionarily brilliant component of our biology. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I'm running into a room that you're in after seeing a giant bear that's chasing me, and you just, you don't have to know that I'm being chased by a bear, your whole body mind activates in, in a mirrored response to mine to get you prepared to adapt. Absolutely. And so those with an addiction to trauma are utilizing that unbeknownst to them. And utilizing distorting that it, yeah, in a distorted way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like a distortion of empathy. So we're tuning in because we naturally become entangled in each other's, as you say, yeah. the contagion, the stress, law of entanglement, all these things. So we, it's, it's going to happen. But if we don't recognize it in ourselves and in yeah. others, we can get sucked into something that can make us all feel terrible because yeah. it can have it's so it's so draining so it's to know yeah. how to so the next question i want to ask you is how then if you are in that situation and you know someone is sucking you in what do you do how do you protect yourself that's a great question so there's a there's a lot of different strategies we might take but the first is to start to recognize for yourself if you lose anchor if you lose mm -hmm. a sense of ground in the presence of someone else just bringing in that awareness is the first part of navigating it. If you aren't aware that 
you might recognize it afterwards of like, oh, why am I so exhausted? That person mm-hmm. is so exhausting. But if you track it back a little bit, at some point, you left your own ability to metabolize the stress. You left your body. You got pulled into theirs, into mm-hmm. their tornado. You lost your anchor momentarily. And so the first piece of that is awareness. I might, you might experience that as just less connection to your body or less sense of like ground or weight. Or exhaustion or, or a little bit of exhaustion. Yeah. A sense of Usually disturbance. Usually by the time we're exhausted, it's, it's a little too late. Okay. <laughs> Meaning that we're, we've already been pulled out and the exhaustion is a replica is, is letting us is a symptom of that we didn't process our own experience, but we went through an entire experience. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to drain you. So the awareness, mm-hmm. we need to develop an awareness yeah. that something's mm-hmm. not, something's making me feel disturbed. My peace is getting disturbed. Yeah. Or Yeah. And so the next piece of that is to come back, whether it's well, come back into the present of your own body. So there's lots of strategies for that. It might be building up saliva in your mouth and swallowing and just feeling the saliva, feeling the warmth of your breath, feeling weight back in your body, squeezing your fists just so you can feel some sense of muscularity in your body and then releasing it. These are all, and there's many more strategies of coming Mm -hmm. back into the presence of your body. And then once you're there, you can begin to identify how close do you want to be? So then it becomes a choice. Do I want to be involved in this? Maybe I do, but often Mm -hmm. we don't. And so we might start to assert our boundary. We might say things like, hey, this is all the time I have for you today. I need to take a break. Or it might be taking a few literal steps back in the space. Mm -hmm. It might be identifying with them that like, I have five more minutes for you. Because often when we interrupt that, it it becomes it escalates. Mm. So it's a it's a delicate oh, balance between to know your how boundary. to uh, yeah how yeah. to do it because as you you're quite right because if you you say to someone you know hey mm. you overreacting or something which is kind of almost a natural reaction that's just going to explode the volcano even more. It's like another I mean a a, a second tornado on top of the first tornado. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 you've got multiple twisters going on at the same time. There we it's go. a perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. A perfect storm, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and these are the things, those might be more trigger words for them, of like mm-hmm. you're overreacting, because they're yeah. not from their internal experience. Because mm-hmm. they didn't realize they were pouring fuel on top of the, the fire that they had created mm-hmm. or found. And... So saying things like you're overreacting, you're too much, anything like that is just going to add more fuel to the fire. You you're oversensitive. Calm down. Yeah. You know, those are all the trigger things that mm-hmm. are just going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's important in that moment to say, I really hear there's a lot going on right now and I need to pause. I need to pause so that I can come back and be more present with mm-hmm. you, which is ultimately what I know is going to be most supportive to you. And to not add things to the fire, don't, you know, when they ask, when they start talking about other people, when they're gossiping, when they're doing any of that, don't say, oh my gosh, they're the worst. Don't add to the fire. Just say, because it's going to get out of control. Mm, Okay. You said, just say, I hear you. Yeah. That sounds really hard for you. 
That's really intense. I'm sorry that's the experience you're having right now. It's really short word sentences that don't add logs to the fire. And maintaining your boundary, identifying what you're willing to say yes and no to in this moment, and keep grounding yourself, keep anchoring. The more you let yourself come into their twister, the less power you have. And the less power you have, the less capacity you have to regulate what's happening within you. And that's where the exhaustion is. That's where you're essentially having the same biochemical response as they are. Mm-hmm. It's it's secondhand yeah. drama. Mm-hmm. There we go. I was about to say that the urgency yeah. has become your emergency or the emergency you know, it's, it has turned around and distorted. Yeah. Okay, let's talk. Yeah. This is fascinating. Let's talk about identifying it in oneself because I think that's always, yeah. Yeah. especially with our, yeah. as you as you mentioned, the current culture, which is just the speed at which we can get caught up in drama and how everything is so you know drama sells and everything is yeah. dramatic from politics to everything. It's just every TikTok. It's, it's yeah. just it's a it's a very dramatic world that we do live in, and it's easy we to do. access it. Very easy to access it. There's a giant stage waiting for us to enact our dramas. And there are little like buttons that support it. <laughs> and a drama yeah. doesn't have to mean it. It's just crisis. Exactly. The drama can be that it's something that isn't authentically true and at its exact amount. So like when we write a simple post on on Instagram, for example, mm-hmm. I always, with my clients, I say, what are you really hungry for in that moment? Are you overriding your need? and supporting yourself in that need and attempting to get it in an indirect way through sharing a photo, through using certain more extreme words within the caption. You know, and that's, that is one of the questions we ask in the assessment is what is the, the language you often use? Are you using more extremes in your language? Like always, never. Mm-hmm. You know, a good this example is in the of self- that is, is this the self-assessment now that we're in that you assessment yeah, the, two? But do yeah. I have a propensity for drama? That's the this assessment yeah. two. Yeah, yeah. And words like extremely, literally, always, very, really, never. These are words we might hear ourselves say constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was sharing the assessment with a friend and she was like, oh, that's the only words in my teenager's vocabulary. (laughs) And, you know, there's a a story in the book about my mom when we were at someone's house uh, with a teenager who went from zero to a hundred very quick. And then I used some of my fun psychology tricks to bring, to co-regulate them and bring them back down. And then that teenager went away for about 20 minutes onto a zoom call with some of her classmates and they were drama bonding. So they were they were throwing logs on each other's fire and you could hear <laughs> it getting louder and louder from downstairs. And then she came back up the stairs after she got off the call and she was more intense than when she came home from school and was already mm-hmm. at a hundred. She was at 180 wow. on a scale of zero to hundred. And my mom leaned over to me and she was like, don't, don't go in. <laughs> you're just going to make it worse. 
And I was like, no, 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 I'm a professional. I got this. And you indeed, this. <laughs> I made some very amateur mistakes. And I was like, it's okay. Everything's going to, you know, like I, I now know I would never say those things. Those yeah. are like throwing logs on the fire. Those are trigger words. Yeah. And, you know, I even went in at one point, I was like, yeah, your teacher really is so awful and trying to like blend in. And that, yeah. that made it worse. This was, this was quite a few years ago. And my mom. So what leaned should over you have me. done? Oh, sorry, finish the story. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom leaned over to me and she was like, give space. Just don't go in. Give space, give space, give space. She will work through this. She'll ex- go a little more extreme. She'll do some weird behavioral stuff. She'll come down. She'll try to get you to like bring her back up into that place of extreme. Don't. Just give her space. And then she'll finally come down and act like nothing happened. And I was like, and no way. And it's exactly the cycle. Exactly what that, happened. Yeah. Like I always say my to mom, my, your mom yeah. said, like I always say to my four kids who actually all work with me, yeah. three of them full time, is that mom always yeah. knows best. I mean, there you just gave it away again. <laughs> 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 totally unrelated she, to our she conversation. Did in but this I circumstance. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And she said, you know, Scott, teenagers invented drama. They did. And she was like, you should write a chapter in your book about that. And this was years ago when I was planning to write the yeah. book. And so like, it, it's not so off that when we look at some of those words, we go, oh, that's really familiar in a certain mm-hmm. age level that we see more, there's more permission, or we just assume that that's kind of the developmental stage of kind of like the teenage trauma. Yeah. I think there's a whole network on television that's dedicated to teenage trauma. I don't think I'm going to say the network, (laughs) but (laughs) in American television, there's an entire network dedicated to it. Exactly. And it's also (laughs) a way for them to process maybe seeing that is also a way for them to see what's happening. So it's a a way of almost processing and venting as well. But that's okay. So that, that, that is, let's, uh, did you want to say something about that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, I'll just say seeing it is so hard. Seeing it is a delicate process because there's such already a wound and and a self-esteem deflation Mm -hmm. that when people say you're oversensitive, they already feel abandoned. So they might be signaling, hey, something feels off in, Mm -hmm. in the way that you are responding to situations. But it's internalized as another form of hurt and abandonment and victimization. Mm -hmm. And we often are the, you know, those of us who are in an addictive pattern are often the last to know. Mm -hmm. Because that is our baseline. It's the way we are existing to what I'm using air quotes here, functionally Mm -hmm. in the world. It's our way of surviving. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Everyone is talking about self-care these days, but what does it actually mean? If you think about it, self-care is about more than just the average spa day or reading your favorite book. It is about making sure that you give yourself what you need to be mentally healthy, to live your best life and truly be there for yourself and others. Of course, it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched, thin, and burned out. This is why I love therapy as a form of self-care. It can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so that you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Indeed, therapy is not only for major issues like PTSD or acute trauma, 
but also the stuff we deal with every day, from people-pleasing to how to have boundaries. It's something that we can all benefit from during good and bad times, which is why I recommend therapy to everyone I know who is struggling. It helps gain new perspective and insight that transform not only how you see yourself, but also how you understand others. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and always changing. Even at my age, I'm still growing and learning, such as how to respond better to failure and learn how to accept the past without regret. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. For more balance with BetterHelp, visit betterhelp.com slash drleaf today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash drleaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. If you were working with someone now and, they, and they're manifesting with, you know, you've done the assessments and mm-hmm. they're at this mm-hmm. point and you know that this is the case, like maybe that whatever, whatever situation yeah. you've, because you've obviously got some clients, you're obviously not going to share their name, but yeah. what would you do then? How would you start helping them to start teaching? Yeah. Re- so identifying that poor trauma yeah. and resetting the baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we might start with some simple practices of just going, feeling some ground and and allowing ourselves to actually feel states of stress. And often in, in the calming or the grounding work, they'll start to get distracted or start to get wiggly in their body. And we'll just name that, oh, there's something kind of wiggly or it's, it's hard to settle here. Can we just notice mm-hmm. that? And then we start to use that information. Oh, I noticed you were settled a moment, more settled a moment ago, and something is bringing you up and out of it. And we might call that revving. So in the book, that's one of the stages of drama is Mm -hmm. revving ourselves up. And I might slow down. I'll use a lot of like slowing down. So I notice there's a lot of energy in the story that you're sharing. Would it be okay if we just slow down for a brief moment? Oh, that's really hard. What happens when we slow down? Mm Mm-hmm. What is it that what is it that we might be trying to avoid in keeping this speed? And oh, I or I noticed we got some level of settling here as we were processing this, and then you jumped to something else. Mm-hmm. And even asking the question, "What was that like for you to jump to something mm-hmm. else? How did that support you in the moment?" So I'm using positive language. Yeah, there's a way. There's such a, a a sensitivity here because there's been mm-hmm. such a feeling of being attacked by the world. Yeah. That positive reframing it in positive ways is so important mm-hmm. to the development of unraveling this addiction to drama. Mm. So, so it's a, I really once understand. Yeah. That, yeah. So once they've, you start them slowing down yeah. from mm-hmm. the raving up, that's a really interesting point. Now you, you, in, yeah. in the book, you do talk about, like you talk, giving an example now of you working with someone in therapy, but in the book you give techniques to help yourself. So these techniques that we're talking about now, so the way yeah. that you have, just so that people know that there's mm-hmm. real practical stuff, I'm just going back to yeah. you, your first part you talk about, you know, we've discussed quite a lot about what is this concept of addiction to drama, and then you go into the causes, which is the traumas and so on, mm-hmm. and the cycle, and then you go into the journey of healing, which is breaking, finding, yeah. releasing, and learning stories of healing, milestones of healing. I wanted to quickly ask you too, a couple of 
panel, you've already answered that. The global drug of drama, you've answered that. You've already (laughs) referenced that. Breaking, finding, releasing, and learning stories of healing. So you've explained now to help people to just gather awareness, ground in their body, when they're revving up to slow down. The next, so in this third part, you, you basically helping them to help themselves as well or help yeah. others, depending on it may be helping themselves and others or yeah. one or the other. So what, would, yeah, what is the next stage after the revving, slowing down mm-hmm. of the revving? After up? recognizing revving. Yeah. So after recognize it, then we start to integrate more of the practices that give us the space to start to go underneath the baseline. Oh, but yeah, so that might be feelings of disappointment as opposed to rage. That might be sadness as opposed to anger. You know, it's not that anger or rage or are inappropriate emotions. It's just when they become the default emotions, the depository for all other emotions that can't be felt or expressed. So we're, we're opening up the rainbow of emotions, which is when we do that, when we actually come into our feelings, our fundamental primary feelings, then they often metabolize. They move through much faster than what we call a secondary emotion. A secondary emotion is when we aren't able to feel the primary feeling, anger, sadness, joy, disgust, disappointment, whatever the emotion is. And because of so much suppression and repression that we deposit every ounce of energy into something that we can express, like anger. And it's not true to the experience or to the moment, but we we think it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can't, you can't process and you can't metabolize a secondary emotion. You can't metabolize a depository. You can only process and metabolize a primary emotion. Yeah. 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 So once you've so done once that, we've expanded the, the palette of what emotions they can feel and express, then we can start to go back into the trauma itself. Because there's a vehicle for them to process through the things that have not been processed. All that isolation pain, all that pain, all that disconnect from their body mm-hmm. that they've experienced, the numbing. So we have to move through layers of numbing slowly, surely into starting to feel what is the there. actual original story. So what actually the actual, happened, the actual, yeah. to take them down slowly into the state of, uh, into the actual story that happened, the yeah. experience that happened. Mm-hmm. And then that's... So that's sometimes mm-hmm. there are no memories. There are no actual autobiographical memories of the experience. So we go into the body, the, the memory of the body, into mm-hmm. what we call the implicit. Yeah. And the procedural memories, those that have become mm-hmm. patterned in our body and the sensations and the feelings that are attached to that, that sometimes have the actual beginning, middle, end story and sometimes mm-hmm. don't. And you have bits and pieces, yeah. Yeah, often it's only bits and pieces. Yeah. And sometimes that's what they'll have and they have to move on from that. So when you get to that point where, because not everyone, I'm very glad you brought this up, not everyone's going to get the full, every memory, every detail, every part of the route. And that's something that we may just get a glimpse and it may take years for that to come. But just the exercise of doing 
what they're doing, yeah. this whole process that you've taken them through, you started to look, you've gone beyond the baseline and you've started giving them a reason to think, okay, is another way of functioning. So I, yeah. I wanted to really stress that or ask you if that's what you're stressing here is sometimes you won't get all the autobiographical memories. You're not going to see yeah. every single thing inside those thoughts. You may only get bits and pieces and it takes a little bit of time. But that doesn't mean yeah. that you can't learn how to use the drama in a more positive way. So that's something yeah. I assume with your healing stories or the yeah. milestones of healing, if we can sort yeah. of wrap up with how would yeah. you, let's say that you've got to whatever level of identification of the trauma, whether it's just a brief glimpse into knowing, okay, something happened mm-hmm. or it's full on detail, whichever version, yeah. there's a realization yeah. that the drama is coming from that. Then what yeah. is the sort of healing story that the person is going to work with? What's the next step sort of stage after that? In broad yes. range, just to wrap up this conversation. Yeah. So one of the ways after we processed maybe a core wound, the sort of engine for the pattern, as we might say, then we actually have to go back and address the identity formation. Because we've we've from the pattern, from the excuse me, from the core wound, we've developed belief systems. We've developed compensational or adaptive patterns or behaviors. And we've, on top of that, developed an identity, an identity of how we experience ourselves in the world and how we think the world perceives us and the interaction of that. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the pieces that's actually sometimes harder to let go of than the actual trauma itself is the identity formation we've we've formed around that the internalized belief i'm a victim to the world i be, i don't belong cuz that's a belief system that's an identity that we walk around with that we have to start to let go that we have to start to believe something else is growing out of that fertile ground to which we did all that healing work in wonderful that's that's grateful can you could you that's can you give just wrap up with like a, just a quick sort of overview maybe of a little story in your own mm-hmm. life or something just a quick one or two minutes just yeah. to kind of pull this all together in terms of being addicted to drama yeah sure maybe a, a story of a client that i yeah, that's whichever. in the book and yes you've got lots of stories in the book which is helpful <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's helpful to see examples and one of the stories I think of that comes first to mind is a, a woman I worked with for years in which she came in and she would talk about a, a story and she would repeat the story over and over again. And often I would ask her, how many times have you told this story today? And she would say, maybe eight to 10 times. And and I would say, and how does the story change every time you tell it? And what's it like to tell it to me now? And she would often just cry. There was never any anger. Mm -hmm. There was never any other emotion. So it became relatively clear that crying, and I wouldn't even call it sadness. I would call it a big expression with tears. Mm -hmm. It was that depository, that Mm -hmm. place that was the secondary emotion. And so it took quite a few years for her to recognize how she was revving herself up away from her authentic experience and the when she revved herself up big enough it it exploded into these big tears 
which made it harder for us to actually go back and find who she was and how she was feeling and what she really needed underneath that to be seen mm. and acknowledged and validated and met. Mm. And, and it manifested in her relationships. It manifested in at her work. She was a journalist in very dangerous places in the world. Mm. And she so felt she was like living was a life of drama. Mm-hmm. She was living a life of drama and coming away from those places felt dangerous to her. She felt mm. like she had no purpose in the world, that she was nothing if she wasn't doing that. Mm. So it took years, a few few years, but I, I had spoke to her recently and she talked about how easeful relationships are now, mm. how she can Wonderful. just sit there and feel the love of someone else and off and express it back without revving herself up without that. having to create all these blocks between her and other people and how she felt she went to a meditation retreat and she told me that she was like it was so easy i could settle and then settle more and settle more and i didn't have that alarm system that would go off that said Resting or ease is dangerous. That's beautiful. What a lovely story. That's really amazing. And I think that just that sense of peace is a great way Mm. to wrap up the the conversation, that there's hope and that it's one way, because a lot of the things you've described can can manifest in a multiplicity of different addictions. So to look at Mm -hmm. drama as one of those, I'm Mm -hmm. sure is is a very big eye-opener for a lot of people. So thank you, Scott, for writing the book and for sharing your wisdom and sharing this time with us today. It's been really so fascinating. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leith. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.